Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to Sawbones, Meryl Tour of Misguided Medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Uh, well, sorry that this episode is so late in coming. Um, it's been kind of a crummy week. Yeah. And we just didn't feel like it. <laughs> it just didn't feel particularly funny. Uh, I usually am supposed to have answers uh, for things on this show, like information to share with you and explanations. And frankly, I don't have... I don't have a lot of answers for anything that's happening in the world right now. There it is. But do hey, you, Justin? Do but I didn't ask yeah. you if you have any answers. Explanations. Yeah, but I'm not sharing. They're going to be in my <laughs> book that's coming out. All the answers, everything explained by Justin McElroy, and it's going to be a big seller. So can I be straight up with you? Like I really wish we could use profanity on our podcast this week. That's that. <laughs> yeah, I understand that vibe too, Sid. But you know what? I I. I will not stop. Will not stop. I will not stop. This, Are you about you, to rap? Because you, you sound like you sound like you're leading up to you a rap. Can't stop the signal. You can't stop the sawbone <laughs> uh-huh. signal. And you know what? We may not have all the answers, but we thought, hey, we can answer some of the questions. That, like medical ones, like, like funny, ones. goofy medical questions that we can. That I might have some insight on, maybe. So let's I do, try. Let's do it, Sid. I got a whole bevy, a flotilla of questions here for you, and I'm hoping that you can uh, help, me, help Excellent. me to to parse them all out. Excellent. Um, these Throw are, them at me. These were sent in by you, our beloved listeners. Um, so thank you to everybody. Sorry we couldn't use them all, but uh, we just handpicked some and, and decided to go with it. So and I'm we, sure we'll do this again someday. So yeah. if you didn't get an answer this time, don't fret. Don't fret. Here, so here we go. First question comes to us from Claire, who asks, I'm assuming you guys know about the Biore and other brand pore strips. What is all that stuff that comes out of your face and onto the strip? <laughs> I wash my face regularly, and they're still always so gross. <laughs> I appreciate that, Claire. I also appreciate uh, how open you are with sharing how gross you find your face. <laughs> I, I, you can't use those things and not get some real yuckaroony material. No. And, and let me comfort you in saying that I am certain anyone who's ever used one of those pore strips has gotten some pretty gross stuff on it yeah. out of their face. Us included. Oh yeah. Justin and I have both used them. So what is it? Uh, so mainly we, when you think about your pores, I mean, they're just little holes, right? Right. There's little teeny, teeny holes and they collect stuff that is on your face because they're teeny little holes. And so, I mean, you're largely just pulling out like 
clumps of oil. We all release oil, you know, from the oil glands in our skin. And like some sweat and then a lot of dirt. Like just, you know, there's dirt and debris out there that gets in your pores and on your skin. Um, and then also probably some dead skin cells as well. So, you know, do you, I mean, we're constantly shedding skin cells. And so you get like these little holes that can collect globs, globs, I'll use the medical term, globs of oil and dirt and skin cells and sweat and voila, you pull it out of your pore. If the difference between what you get on like a pore strip, because I mean, I think that it's fair to say you you would call those things you're putting it on blackheads. Um, Well, I mean, I sometimes it's just like you put on your nose because it feels cloggy, right? You put it on your nose because it feels cloggy? Yeah, you just feel like there's some stuff in there and you can probably get it out. That's why I use them. It's like I haven't done it in a while and I feel like it's time to clean it out. Your skin feels cloggy? You know, like a cloggy skin type feeling. I have never had a cloggy skin type feeling. Well, that's because you don't use the Biore Perfect strips. Okay, well, if even if you don't, most people, I think, use them because they get concerned about like blackheads across the bridge of their nose, you know, which are just exactly what I've described, pores that are filled with all that kind of stuff that I've talked about. When they start to get inflamed, uh, infected or irritated, uh, or, and then bacteria can start growing in there. Then you, you're talking about pimples, right? You're right. talking about whiteheads and, and pimples and the like. Um, but before that, when it's just a pore filled with dirt and goo, there you go. That's that's what you get out of it. And it's not gross. It's all over all of us all the time. Is it? Could it be? I'm I'm sometimes suspicious of like um, hygiene that we couldn't have achieved like before medical advances. Like if your body wanted to get rid of that stuff, it would probably just like let yeah. you is there any danger to like emptying that stuff out do you think uh the only danger i can see is um if you are if you're irritating your skin um that's it's the same kind of advice i would give some uh, we tell people who ask questions about like how do i deal with acne don't scrub a lot of people will want to scrub their face after they wash it as if like, I'm really cleaning out those pores. But if you're causing inflammation in your skin, you're setting it up for, you know, your pores to get clogged even more so with bacteria and with um, oil and, you know, more debris from like the dead skin cells. Like you're just setting yourself up for a cycle of inflammation and then you scrub it to clean it out and then stuff, get, they get inflamed and stuff gets back in there. So... I would say the only danger I could see with those strips is if, if you were using them so much or you were applying them in a way that you were actually causing a lot of inflammation in your skin, then mm-hmm. you're really not doing yourself any favors. But I don't think removing the dirt and oil in and of itself is like a dangerous thing. Now, you do need some oil in your skin. As anyone who has used like a lot of the over-the-counter acne products and too much, and have you ever dried your skin out? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, if you do that too much, I mean, and your skin gets dry, it fights back by creating more oil. And again, vicious cycle. So, um, you know, just don't don't irritate your skin. It's your friend. It's your biggest organ. It's your friend. Uh, here's another one, a, a short one from Jeff, who says, does working a night shift, uh, is sorry, is working a night shift unhealthy for your body? You know, Jeff. that's that's a good question, Jeff. And there's actually a whole disorder, a shift work disorder. Uh, people who, who work... Um, irregular hours are kind of you're you're trying to force your body to do something that we are not chemically you know programmed to do 
we release uh, lots of different hormones change throughout our night day circadian rhythm cycle. But like just one, for example, we release melatonin Mm -hmm. in the evenings to chill us out, calm us down, tell us it's time to go to sleep. And then our levels of it drop as we get closer to the morning and then we wake back up. Um, A lot of the hormones in our body have that same and it's related to light. A lot of our circadian rhythms are related to light. So when you are awake in the dark and asleep in the light, that you're fighting that natural circadian rhythm in your body. And that that is really difficult for people to adjust to. And so I'll have a lot of people who work night shifts who never really feel very well rested. Well, that makes sense to me because the, the, you're, you know, I, anytime that I like, I think the closest I could come is like staying up overnight and like, it's just miserable for your entire body mm-hmm. after, like, if you don't sleep for a night because the, your whole thing gets out of whack. That still seems really fragile, except it, it certainly is for me. It is. It is. And the other thing I can, from my own personal experience, uh, having done a residency, is that the next morning after I would have stayed up all night on a call, I would get that, what we will call our second wind. And that's probably those natural, you know, those levels of melatonin and such dropping, uh, my cortisol levels rising to keep me awake and up and moving. And, uh, and then I would come home and try to sleep. And my body was not in a condition where it wanted to sleep then because it is programmed to try to force itself to stay awake. So the sleep I'd get wouldn't be particularly restful. Babies get this on a really accelerated pace too. It's crazy to see uh charlie like get tired and you see the window and then all of a sudden it's just gone yes the window's just like past us yeah if you miss the nap window you're doomed doomed um we have several questions here um uh from jessica uh all uh, pertaining to birth control and uh, they say why do we still have periods when we're taking birth control. My understanding is you don't release an egg when you're on birth control pills and periods are the shedding of an unfertilized egg. So if you don't release an egg, are they real periods? Do we have to have them? You want me to start with those questions? Yes, let's start with those. Let's start with those. Okay. So this is a really, this is a really good question and it's important if you take birth control or if you're thinking about taking birth control that you understand somewhat how it's working in your body. So an easy way that I'll often explain it to patients is that birth control sort of creates a hormonal situation in your body that is similar to that of pregnancy. Okay. Not exactly, but similar. And because uh, when you're pregnant, you're not ovulating and having periods, obviously. Uh, when you are on birth control pills, it prevents, exactly like you said, it prevents your ovary from releasing the egg just because of the certain levels of, of and I don't want to get into the particulars, but the levels of hormones that you now have in your body. Um, now, your endometrial lining, which is the lining of your uterus, it's still going to grow somewhat while you're on your period, usually less Mm-hmm. Or, or while you're on birth control, excuse me, usually less than when you're not on birth control, uh, but it is going to grow somewhat. So at the time when you would have your period, if you do have bleeding, you're shedding that lining of your uterus. Okay. While if you weren't on birth control, you may be shedding both the unfertilized egg and the lining of your uterus. If you're on birth control, it's just the lining of your uterus. So that's why you still have a period. Now, some birth control, uh, depending on the level of hormones that are, that are in the birth control itself or your natural level of certain hormones, you may find that you stop having periods, that it actually suppresses both the release of the egg and the growth of that lining. That's okay. 
That's okay if it does that. You don't have to have periods. That's a that's a that's a question I get a lot. Um, obviously, the utility of a period sometimes is that it can tell you whether or not you might be pregnant or may clue you in. But uh, other than that, it it's okay not to have a period. Um, uh, another side question here. Um, it says you're not supposed to miss a pill, and if you do, that you might not be protected. So you're protected during the week that you take placebo pills. In theory, the week that you take the placebo pills, because, you know, that last those last seven pills in your pack are just sugar pills. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, and the reason... <laughs> you, used to let right. me, you used to let me take those. You did used to take those. Yeah. Yeah. Why? They don't yeah. taste like sugar. No, it's just a fun novelty. Uh, the, it's college. The, the reason they're there is just to keep you on schedule, by the way. That's just it. Because it's easier to get in the habit of taking a pill every single day than for three weeks and then not for a week. It's just sense. it's just easier. That's the whole reason they're there. But um, I used to actually throw them away and just keep track of the day I had to start my next pack I, because I don't like being patronized. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, the thing is, during that week, you should be on your period. Now, if you don't have a period, that's still okay. It doesn't matter. It's not hurting you. But because that's the week that you would be shedding the lining of your uterus, you can't you shouldn't be able to get pregnant that week anyway. Okay. So if the birth control is working like it's supposed to, you can't get pregnant that week. Um, that's not to say, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to sit here and, and make birth control pills sound like they're the sunny solution to every problem. I think they are hugely helpful for many patients. They are tolerated well by many, many patients. And again, some of the things people worry about, is it okay not to have periods? Totally okay. There are other side effects to birth control pills though, which is why... If you're going to seek out birth control, I would talk to your doctor about all forms of birth control that are available to you. Uh, here's one from Shelby who asks, is eating at night really worse for you? Is it true that your metabolism is slower so you will gain more weight from it? The big the big reason, Shelby, that we tell you not to eat at night is, is not as much, at least when I'm talking to my patients, it's not as much for your metabolism. Uh, my big concern are a couple things. One, acid reflux. A lot of people can get acid reflux, especially if you eat right before you go to bed. Sure. Uh, because then you've churned up all that stomach acid to digest your food, and then you go from vertical to horizontal. Most people sleep laying down. You might sleep standing up, in which case that might not be such a problem for you. But assuming you sleep laying down, uh, all that acid could, in some patients, reflux back up into your esophagus and cause heartburn and such. So that's that's one big reason I'll, I actually tell people not to eat late at night. Uh, another reason is that it can actually disturb your sleep. Um, because you're digesting? Yes. Hmm, your body that? needs to chill, man. Give your body a break. Yeah, give your body a break at night. Uh, so, so yeah, your body's kind of set up to rest now and not to be doing the hard work of digestion. Um, so it's not really good for you. I, d I wouldn't worry as much if somebody told me that, that they were eating at night and they were worried about or they were trying to lose weight and they were seeking advice on losing weight, that would not be the first thing that I would tell them to change. In general, um, I, I would say that the times in my life when I ate late at night, like like I mentioned when I was in residency or back when I was in college, I usually wasn't making the best food choices late sure, at night. Sure, right. Um, and I wasn't on a particularly healthy eating schedule. So I don't think that I was taking very good care of my body in general. And so I think that's where you get a lot of the bad rap about eating late at night. In addition to the things I've mentioned is that if I'm eating fourth meal <laughs> at Taco <laughs> Bell, 
there are a lot of other issues than just what time I'm eating. I almost hear you saying that I shouldn't be eating a bowl of cereal every night before I go to sleep. That's all. I don't want to misconstrue that. Justin, I have literally told you, I think this is what the third time on our podcast, not just in our lives, on our podcast, not to eat a bowl of cereal every night before you go to bed. It helps me sleep. No. It does. No, it doesn't. Apparently not. You've just stolen that. It, it doesn't from help me. you sleep. Uh, here's one from Phoebe who asks Why do some types of birth control help protect against uh, STIs, but others don't? I want to get an IUD, but would like the extra protection against STIs. I'm not one for unprotected sex either way. I'm just deeply paranoid. That's from Phoebe. Um, I'm assuming, Phoebe, when you're asking about certain types of birth control that protect against STIs, you mean barrier methods like condoms and such. Um, diaphragms. Is that? And diaphragms, which are, I think, still used by some people. I don't know. I, I don't have thing. a lot of people who are using diaphragms okay. these days. Um, but, I mean, some people do, certainly. Uh, but there, you know, when we, we, I mentioned birth control pills already, there are birth control patches, there are birth control shots, there are uh, intrauterine devices, there's the vaginal ring, uh, there's the birth control implant that goes in your arm, um, there are, uh, like we said, diaphragms, there are um, condoms, spermicide, there's the sponge, again, not used too much these days. Uh, vasectomy, tubal ligation. A lot of these things don't protect against sexually transmitted infections. Very few do. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because I think we were really, there were different goals when they were developing these products. You know, a lot of the, a lot of with birth control pills and the things that have followed the birth control pill to help prevent pregnancy was an effort to give uh, people who were able to become pregnant control over their bodies, uh, the ability to both have a sexual life, have engage in sexual activity, and choose when they decide to become pregnant and start a family. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I, that's a very different goal than a condom, which while it does indeed help to prevent pregnancy, also can help to prevent the transmission of a sexually transmitted infection. Um, so I, I think we're just talking about different different goals. It, when you're seeking out uh, birth control, I would I would ask yourself what your goals are, what your concerns are. I think that in general, both should be the answer. Nice. Uh, for most people, I recommend, you know, I think there are a lot of great, other than uh, condoms, there are a lot of great birth control options that are actually more effective. Hmm. Um, in particular, you mentioned the intrauterine device. So the IUD, intrauterine device, there are different kinds. There are kinds that secrete hormones, and then there are copper ones. Uh, they are over 99% effective. So if we're talking about purely preventing pregnancy, they're a really great option. Uh, they can last, the progestin, which is a hormone-secreting ones, can last three to six years. The copper ones, some can last up to 12 years. Wow. So if you know that in that time frame, you, you very likely will not want to become pregnant, it's a, it's a great choice for you. Um, they do need to be inserted by a doctor, and there are risks associated with them, of course. But um, if you're concerned about the future availability of uh, birth control or other family planning methods for yourself, an intrauterine device may be a good option for you to go talk to your doctor about. In the meantime, though, you should always, uh, I, I, when it comes to preventing sexually transmitted infections, um, regular testing is one good thing you can do that isn't a 
isn't a something you have to buy. You know, it's not a condom. It's not an IUD. It's a, you know, make sure you know your own status. Have an open discussion with your partner about the last time they were tested for sexually transmitted infections and encourage them to do so before engaging in sexual activity. And then I still recommend using barrier methods mm-hmm. if that's a concern. I mean, obviously, if you're trying to become pregnant, that may not be the best way to do it. Can't be too careful. But <laughs> but uh, but use a, use a condom or some other sort of barrier method if you are concerned. Uh, so they're different, different goals, but both extremely important. Uh, Sid, we've got a lot of other questions, but uh, because you don't have them in front of you, I get the rare privilege of telling you that it's time to go to the billing department. Let's go. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got at two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. 
The first ever Chicago Podcast Festival is just around the corner. Don't miss your shot to catch Max Fun's own Bullseye, Lady to Lady, and Minority Corner performing live for your entertainment. Split Single was just added to the Bullseye lineup in addition to the previously announced and amazing Dwayne Kennedy and Andre Royo. Bullseye and Lady to Lady are November 17th, and Minority Corner is November 18th. Visit MaximumFun.org and peep the live shows column on the right side to grab your tickets right now before time runs out. All right, what question you got for me next, Justin? Okay, Sydney, I've got a few from Twitter here, and I'm going to hit you with them. These are a little bit shorter, but I think that uh, I think that the, uh, you'll be able to help do some real good here. I hope so. I'll do my best. This comes from Sarah Emma Rose, who says, what's the medical difference between an innie and an outie belly button? <laughs> So uh, they're both fine. They're both lovely. So don't worry, whatever you have. Uh, of course, your belly button is the result of you are connected in in utero. That's the fancy term for inside for the uterus. For Nirvana album. What? Is that Nirvana album in Well, utero? yeah, but also for in, a, in the uterus. Got it. Okay. All right. In utero. Uh, you are connected to uh, mom to the placenta by your umbilical cord. Mm-hmm. which comes from your belly button. Now we cut that cord after you are born. And then there's this little like hunk of it that's connected there for a while that then slowly shrivels up and dries up. And it doesn't look, I mean, it doesn't look great mm-hmm. for a while. And then eventually it just falls off. And whatever you're left with is your belly button. And it just depends on how it heals, man. Some of them are innies and some of them are It's outies. not because, like, your doctor didn't do, like, a dope cut. It has nothing to do with, like, how skillful they are. I always no. feel like if you have an innie, then they just, like, went in and no scope, like, one shot, one slice, perfect. No, because we always, we always cut pretty far away. You know, we leave a couple inches away oh, from, point. yeah, from the baby. You, you know, you don't want to cut right up against the baby's skin. Oh, yeah. Uh, we clamp it. And then cut beyond the clamp. And so there's always a couple couple inches hanging there, maybe more, maybe less, but around that. So, yeah, it just has to do with how it heals. Um, there is no tying. I've had that question before. There's no tying of, like, we don't tie a knot. So that's not why the belly button looks like it does. Um, it's just how the cord falls off, and they're both fine. What is the deal? This is from the diaphany. What is the deal with those painful bubbles you get on your tongue? How does it happen, and how do I make it stop? I am assuming my the premise with which I answer this question is that you are talking about like inflamed taste buds or swollen taste buds uh, because those are there are many reasons by the way that you can get painful bubbles on your tongue. So I, I don't want to let me say this. If this is happening a lot or causing you a lot of distress, I would advise you to go talk to your doctor because you can have, you know, there are sexually transmitted infections that can affect your tongue or other infections that can affect your tongue. There are allergic reactions you can have on your tongue. Certain vitamin deficiencies can cause swollen taste buds on your tongue. Uh, there, are, there are lots of other things that you might need to get checked out. So if this, is a, if this is a common problem for you, please go see your doctor. Now, if you're like me, every once in a while you like bite your tongue. Sure. Or Justin, you mentioned something that irritates your yeah sour food. If I have sour foods, that that will do it to me. Exactly, acidic foods is what you're noticing. It's the acid in the. Oh, food. Sorry, I don't know all the clinical yeah. terms, Doctor McElroy. Well, no, I'm just saying, like, it's not the sour. I mean, it's the same. It's the same difference. You're describing the taste. I'm describing the property. You know, the sure, yeah, property. yeah. Anyway, acidic foods, even I'm, really I'm salty. Chubby, or... so I would be talking about taste. That makes sense. I get it. I get where you're coming from. Uh-huh. Get it. I, I didn't get it. say anything like that. Okay. 
uh, it, acidic foods, salty foods, spicy foods, sometimes even really hot foods. And these are all things that can inflame your taste buds. Um, like cinnamon gum can do that sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like any sort of like over, like eating too much of any one flavor can do that to me. I feel like most notably with sour, but yeah. Uh, um, tobacco can do that too, actually. Makes sense. Um, there, there are other conditions that can do this, but those are the most common. If this just happens every once in a while, this is, you know, it's probably just that you irritated or inflamed one of your taste buds. Uh, this is usually not something serious. Uh, it will be tender. Um, you may notice that you're salivating more, producing more saliva. Um, you might see the swollen taste, like, like you described, you could see it. It'll, it'll look like a red or white bump on your tongue and it's raised and it's painful. The important thing to know is that it's probably going to be uh, short-lived and go away on its own. Um, some people recommend like a salt water rinse of their mouth. If that makes it feel better, I think that's fine. Uh, you can just eat something really soothing like yogurt or some other sort of cooling, like a popsicle. You know, sure. An ice cube even could help reduce the inflammation. You usually don't need to go to the le like level of using a uh, medication over-the-counter or prescription otherwise. But if it is something that's exquisitely painful, there's many of them, or it's happening to you a lot. Exquisitely painful. This is, this is a term. If it's happening to you a lot, go see your doctor. Because there are other causes for those bumps, and I can't see the bumps on your tongue, so I cannot guarantee that we're talking about the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> the tongue pain is exquisite. I'm pinhead from Hellraiser. <laughs> um, here's one from uh, Dustin Ratliff who says, uh, is it possible to knock someone out like in action movies without there being traumatic, long lasting brain damage? This is my this is my favorite question because you said like in action movies. Yeah. I like that, Dustin. You know. Right, like an you know what movie. we're talking about, or like on Buffy the Vampire Slayer when Giles gets hit every single episode uh -huh. in the noggin, right, and gets knocked, it gets knocked out. Yeah, uh, yes, it is totally possible to to have that happen to you and not have long lasting brain damage. Uh, I know this from personal experience. I played soccer in high school, and I was uh, drilled in the head directly in the forehead by a soccer ball by a member of my own team, Boo. no less. Yeah, that I and you're and then and knocked, then what? knocked flat on my back, unconscious, and I was okay. Eh. What you married me? So I'm thinking <laughs> there must have been something up. I think what I think what you can you have to worry about. I mean, because this is a concussion. I think is what we're talking about that loss of consciousness. We're assuming I mean, it doesn't have to be a concussion, but we're that's what we're sort of talking around is that loss of consciousness after a head trauma and you get knocked out and you wake back up. Um, if you continue to have symptoms like headache or confusion or dizziness or that sort of thing, changes you know, change in your vision, um, then you may have a concussion. You should talk to a doctor because now, especially we know from sports mm -hmm. that repeated head trauma, repeated episodes of this can definitely cause long lasting damage. Absolutely. It can, uh, which is why we take them so seriously. Uh, now, if you have a concussion, we will put you on what we call cognitive rest, meaning to, to try not to think, <laughs> don't strain your brain no for problems. a while. No problems there. Duck, I got it. <laughs> but we really, I mean, we'll, we'll take kids out of school and and no homework or anything, no computers, no no nothing, nothing very taxing, 
uh, until your symptoms resolve because we know that if we don't treat you appropriately after a concussion and if we if you continue to have concussions you can absolutely get long lasting damage but no one isolated event doesn't necessarily cause anything long lasting a few more quick ones Sid because we're running a little short on time I'm currently in med school. Is there a way to both complete your studies and have a life outside of school? Feels impossible. That's from Emily. Oh, that's the that's the eternal question. It is it is difficult. I think it is totally possible because again, from personal experience, I got married to Justin while I was in med school. Uh, yeah, I think there's basically uh, to not to speak to this because but we kind of went through it together, um, and I knew how long you were away. Like. I think just finding the moments where you can make a spot. There's a lot of times where Sydney didn't necessarily have to study at that exact moment or didn't have to be doing something. And there, because you're always going to have more that you could do, I would Mm -hmm. say, but finding those pockets where you don't absolutely have to be doing something is probably your best bet. This is true. I think not just for medical school, but for anybody who's involved in a particularly taxing profession or study series of you know course of study or something where uh you you get this impulse that the more time you put into it it necessarily like that you will get better at it and that there is no end to that like that's an infinite thing Mm -hmm. you know and you can get that impulse in med school that well if i just keep studying those 24 hours seven days a week forever i'll become the best doctor in the world and the thing is i think it's just as important that you are the best you you can be. It makes me a better doctor when I am a happy, healthy person. And that includes making time for Justin and for Charlie and for all the other members of my family that I love and my friends that I love and the other activities that I enjoy. It makes me a better Sydney. And then I am a better doctor because I'm a better Sydney. And that's true when you're a medical student and a resident as well. So you have to have time to nurture yourself and be the best you, and then you will be the best at what you pursue. And that, that I think goes beyond medicine that's true for any any time demanding pursuit excellent well sid stir that's going to do it for us this week uh we hope that you uh at home are are hanging in there and and trying to enjoy yourself and making lots of um uh pockets in your day for self-care because that's so important you know it's just like we were just talking about you gotta be the best you you can be and sometimes that means trying to take care of yourself uh but self-care and may i just say also care of others there are going to be a lot of people outside of yourself who maybe need extra care extra help extra support um maybe even extra i don't want to say defense but extra support yeah there may be a lot of people in your life that need some more backup right now so take care of yourself and take care of each other we were all in this together before and we still are yeah we're still stronger together I don't care what anybody says. Uh, That's going to do it for us. Thanks to the taxpayers for letting us use their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program and the mid-tro, I guess. And uh, I think that's going to do it for us. So until next week, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.